Good morning, Noblesville campus. It's really great to be here with you this morning. And uh, if you didn't know already, he mentioned my name. My name is Pastor Mike Melito. I am the Eagle Creek campus communicator. That's the new title I have. Uh, not to get into too much detail with that, I was a campus pastor uh, in, my, in a different season of life that's uh, taken me uh, week to week in a different uh, workspace, but I'm still uh, teaching and preaching every weekend, so now I'm the campus communicator. And, uh, and I'm here with you today. Pastor Micah is at Eagle Creek today, and I made a deal with him last night. We were at Eagle Creek campus, and he was setting stuff up and uh, doing his thing, and I said, all right, I promise you I won't burn your campus down if you don't burn mine down. So... <laughs> We're going to uh, go by that promise, and uh, we'll see what happens. But anyways, I, um, I had actually prepared um, for this to be later in the service, but I'm going to actually have it done now. Uh, is Carrie? Carrie, where are you at? Uh, yeah, you come up here. Carrie's got something to share. It actually has a little bit to do with the message today. You want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6 if you want to get ready for that. But Carrie, there you go. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Carrie Newman. I just wanted to, the Lord's been putting on my heart the last couple of weeks um, to share this thought with you. Um, Omar and I have been coming to Life Church for about three years now. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, we've thoroughly, we've been thoroughly blessed by um, being here at Life Church. And one of the things that has blessed us is the fact that um, we, probably about three months in, four months in or so, we decided it was time for us to find a place to serve um, here at Life Church at the Noblesville campus. And so you see Omar quite a, quite a bit doing ushering and greeting duties. Um, I typically help out at either the help desk or the um, kids kiosk and helped out with Bible, with VBS, and it's a blessing. And I just want to put on your hearts the importance of serving within your church community. Um, it not only blesses those of us in the congregation that you're serving to, it also blesses you. It helps you grow deeper in your faith. It helps you grow further in the community and I just really would like to put that on all of your hearts to pray about it on where can I serve? Where, where do my talents best you know, help out my church family? So if, if you pray on this and think that this would be something that you might want to get a little bit more involved in, please reach out to the welcome desk. Talk to Kathy, talk to Melissa, talk to Pastor Marilyn. They can all help you find the right spot where you might be able to best serve the, um, the church. So thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Okay. I hear him, but I can't see him. Omar, where are you at? Was that not Omar just now? Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, okay. Second Samuel chapter six, and uh, <laughs> uh, like I said, it's really great to be here. Uh, we are in uh, the series about Samuel. We've been in for like a year and a half, and uh, in the last few weeks, we've got to see something finally culminate, which has taken all this time to get there, which is David becoming king. 
We saw David get anointed to be king a long time ago. Uh, and then the process between then and now, he, uh, he was chased down by Saul. There were attempts on his life. Uh, it didn't go like you thought it would go for a king. Uh, in fact, uh, he's left scratching his head sometimes. But then just a few weeks ago, if you were here, you got to see him finally become king of Israel. And in that moment, uh, I, I just think it's worth saying, it's like God is saying at that moment, do you see how when I say something's going to happen, when there's a promise that I make, it's gonna happen. God's promise, God saying David would be king, survived the venom of Saul and the follies of David and the seasons of time. It went through all of those things to finally culminate for this thing to happen. And the same is true for you and me, right? If God has promised you something, he said something's gonna happen, then it's gonna happen. It doesn't matter who's come at that, who's attacked that, undermined that. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're screwing it up, if you keep coming back to him like David, then it'll happen. And it doesn't matter how long it takes, right? We're, that's a kind of kingdom we're inheriting. We're inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Not because we can't be shaken, right? But because God's promises are so strong that time can't dissolve them and enemies can't sabotage them. Amen. Amen? Amen. So that brings us to today. He had a few victories in Jerusalem. And now what we're going to see today is uh, something that we all can kind of understand. I want to share just a personal story, though, uh, to illustrate what we're going to learn. Years ago, a long time ago, um, longer than I care to admit, um, I used to work at a Dairy Queen and I was in the grill. Like the grill was my area. Like I owned the grill area. And um, I, there were pros and cons to working at Dairy Queen. Uh, uh, you know, free french fries and blizzards. And at that stage of my life, it didn't matter how, many of that, how much of that I ate. So that was nice. Those were the good old days, right? If I look at a blizzard now, it's not, you know, not that way. But anyways, uh, there was also some real challenges there. Uh, one of the big challenges I had was uh, cleaning the floor. And what I mean, if you've ever worked fast food, you, you probably understand what I meant. No matter how hard I tried and how many times I tried to clean that floor, it was always perpetually greasy and slippery. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was gross, really. And I tried hard. My coworkers even made fun of me. They're like, I don't know why you're doing that, Mike. It's not gonna make a difference. Well, first of all, it needs to be clean, okay? Because that's gross. But second of all, I, I just, I, it was a mission in my life to prove them wrong. And I tried everything. I tried different um, soaps. I tried, you know, scalding hot water. And I tried a scrub brush. And one day I had this brilliant idea like, okay, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at it. I'm going to take all the cleaners we have in this building. <laughs> I was younger then. I'm going to take all the cleaners we have in this building. I'm going to put it in the mop bucket. I'm going to get the water scalding hot. I'm going to put that in there. And this floor is going to be pristine. So I do the thing. And I start running the hot water. And it starts turning this really cool neon green color and fizzing. <laughs> and uh, the next thing I know, I'm breathing in. And the back of my throat is burning. And someone's coming from the, the front uh, counter and saying, what's going on? What's that smell? There's customers coughing. We had to evacuate <laughs> the restaurant. Um, and I was wheezing. I couldn't talk. So I ran the bucket 
outside and dumped it out and got away from it and I'm, you know, wheezing. And this really nice older couple came out um, and, uh, and uh, this guy, this older gentleman named George, and I'll tell you how I learned his name here in a minute. He starts laughing at me. <laughs> I mean, literally laughing at me. And he says, you dumb kid, you made mustard gas. <laughs> you're you're going to drown in your own blood. He said those words. I'm not making this up. I'm wheezing. This is what he has to say to me. And his wife, this is how I learned his name, said, oh, George, can't you see the young man's having a hard time? And then they got their car and left. That was all the sympathy I got. <laughs> that was it. And uh, public service announcement, if you mix ammonia and bleach, not good, Okay. Some of you are like, I knew that. Well, I was younger then. I didn't know that. And uh, also, read the bottle before you use the soap because it was right there. The warning was right there. But I, I tell that story, uh, one, because it's funny, but two, because wanting to mop that floor, wanting to get the grease off, it was the right thing to do. It really was. Like, even if everybody else had given up, it was the right thing to do. I went about it the wrong way. And it almost cost me a lot. It could have been a lot worse. I look at that moment in my life and I think, that's the grace of God that that wasn't worse, really. Um, but I was trying to do the right thing, doing it the wrong way. There's another instance uh, of, of something similar, but maybe not as funny. Um, you know, we, you heard about in the video announcements, the food pantry at Eagle Creek. And uh, we had that going on for years where we would have maybe three to five families come every month. And, you know, we're happy to serve however many come, but it was a lot of work and there, it took up a lot of space in the building. And so uh, each year we would kind of come back to that and say, should we keep doing this really? Like we could free up the space. I'm sure these three to five families uh, will find food somewhere. They won't starve. Maybe we should discontinue doing this. And for one reason or another, we just always felt like, no, we should keep doing this. And, and so we did. Well, 2020 rolled around when, you know, everything happened. And uh, we were going to do the food pantry, but this time we're bringing it to the curb like everybody else. We're doing curbside. And that first Saturday that we did that, we had over 100 cars show up looking for food. And uh, by the way, we count the cars in case you wonder how we get that number. And each car we, we think of as a family and we average that families are families of four and that's how many meals we serve. So uh, we had uh, over 100 cars come and we were really excited to see that. Assumed maybe it was because of the pandemic, but decided we're gonna do it this way from now on. And so we still do it that way to this date and we still see on a low weekend, 60 uh, families, but last, this last weekend we had 110 families uh, come out and, and get meals. And then on some, some occasions, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, we have over 250 families show up for that. And it was just a, a, a good example of we were doing the right thing, trying, trying to be a blessing and, and feed families in and, and Jesus' name and manifesting the kingdom of heaven that way. But we were doing it the wrong way. We we're saying, you come in here. It was, it was all the way down at the end of the longest aisle, uh, hallway we had. And uh, it, it just wasn't a very outward focused thing. But as soon as we started doing it the right way, 
things started really moving, right? We've got a little highlight reel, just uh, incidentally, from the food pantry, uh, just uh, s- some clips from the last year. Uh, if, we're good, if we could go ahead and watch that now. Food giveaway organizers are praying for more help so they can help more families. Despite cold temperatures outside, members of the Eagle Creek campus of Life Church held signs up about their free curbside groceries. Inside, 30 to 40 volunteers at Life Church help put together the food baskets to feed hungry families. And so there's some dry goods, there's normally some meat, there's some, uh, as, as much as we can, some fresh vegetables. Um, and so, but enough to make several meals uh, that'll last a week or two for a family. curbside giveaway is not only food for the body but also the soul as they uh, pick up their food they can pull off and, and from their car just get curbside prayer Uh, the curbside prayer was something we added too and uh, I remember thinking it, it's optional like they don't have to stop for prayer almost every month every car stops for prayer it's a very powerful thing and I, I just go tagging along with what Carrie was saying that wouldn't happen if we didn't have volunteers just so you know before we did it uh, inside we had like two or three volunteers you heard them say uh, upwards of 40 sometimes and by the way it's not just Eagle Creek there are people from every campus that help with that so you're more than welcome to come any given month it's the fourth Saturday of the month but just an example of doing the right thing the right way the difference that makes but then also when you do the right thing the wrong way that also makes a difference. Second Samuel chapter six, starting in verse one. David again assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal Judah. And the ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. I want to explain a little bit about the Ark because uh, some of you, maybe your only frame of reference is Raiders of the Lost Ark when, you know, the Nazis' faces melted off, uh, which may not be too far from the truth. We'll read about that here in a minute. But um, the Ark was a very important piece of furniture for the Israelites. After everything they had been through and been delivered from, when they set up, the God wanted him to set them to set up a tabernacle in their camp, which was like a central place for worship 
And in the middle of that tabernacle, in the middle of that tent was another tent. And inside that tent, there was a place called the holy place. And there were, there were uh, tables and there, were, um, uh, and there was incense, as we heard earlier. But then there was a veil in the holy place that separated, part, separated a one part away. And that was called the holy of holies. Uh, and inside the holy of holies was kept the ark of the covenant. What made that so special, the Ark of the Covenant, was the contents, really, which were the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, God's authority, uh, a, a jar of manna, God's provision, and uh, an olive branch that God made to grow, and that was God's power. And all those things were put in there to remind Israel what God had done for them. And so then that was covered up with probably the most important part of the Ark, which was the lid, and it was covered in gold. And you're like, why is a lid really important? Well, the, the lid was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat's where they would sprinkle the blood, and that was where God would meet with people, with a person. And so that's why it's called the mercy seat. It's very significant. And then it had rings on each corner that long poles can go through so you can carry it. But it was kept in the Holy of Holies, which most people couldn't go into. And even when a priest went into it, they would tie a rope around his waist and keep it in case he dropped dead inside and they needed to pull him back back out. So it was not, it was, there was a a, a real reverence for the Holy of Holies, and for the Ark of the Covenant. And so David knew this. David had just become king, and he uh, took Jerusalem, and now David wants to bring Israel back to having a central place of worship, so he wants to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. And so, and it hadn't been there for like 70 years. Going back to 1 Samuel, some of you might remember Israelites were going up against the Philistines and it wasn't really uh, stacked in their favor, so to speak. And so the Israelites had this idea, I got an idea, let's go get the ark, you know, that represents God's presence. Let's bring it into battle with us and that will give us the edge in battle. And even when they did that, and even when the Philistines saw it, they were freaking out. Oh, that's the presence of God is with them, right? You know, not to say enough about this, but they took what was very sacred, they took what was holy, they took the mercy seat where God would meet with them and turned it into a good luck charm, really. It, it was, it's really a very sad story when you look at it. Um, and sometimes, hey, sometimes we do that today, right? When I was younger, I don't see it as much anymore, but uh, it was very stylish, and a lot of times people would wear crosses, sometimes it, there was some superstition attached to it. Like if I wear this cross, then, you know, God will protect me. And if I do this, God will give me favor. And so we sometimes, in, in today's day and age, we do this thing that they did. Um, just put, pointing that out there. But they bring it into battle. And some of you already know, the Philistines win the battle and they take the ark, which is just astounding. But then for the Philistines, it created all kinds of problems. And one of my favorite versions says that it, it caused all of them to have hemorrhoids. So, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes different versions word things different ways and it's just, you know, it's more entertaining. But anyways, tumors, hemorrhoids, whatever you want to call them, it was a problem. And so they would move it from town to town because one town would have it and be like, I don't want this. I don't want this in my town. This is a problem. So they would move it to another town to the point where uh, they're going to move it to another town and the town goes, why? You? No, we don't want that. What, do you hate us? No, don't. Keep it away from us. So they 
build a cart and they take two milk cows and they put the ark on the cart and they just send it on its way. I don't care where you go, just go away, you know, get away from us. And they, the cart ends up back in Israel. Now, what happens next is, is eye-opening. The first group of men that saw it were curious. So they opened it. And this is where Raiders of the Lost Ark comes in. 50,000 men died as a result of opening the ark. And I have to think their faces melted off, just like we saw. So I don't know, I wasn't there, but you know. Um, but so they, they just put it away in someone's house at that point. They didn't know what to do with it. So that's like 70 years ago. Now David is king, knows about the ark, Maybe not everything about the ark, but knows that it needs to be a, a central place of worship and wants to bring it back because he's a man after God's own heart. So verse three goes on to say, then they set the ark of God, this is David, the Israelites, they set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ohio walked in front of the ark. I have to say this seems like a pretty decent plan, right? We have the technology, we have a cart, we have the cattle. There's no reason for us to have to carry this the whole way from there to here, right? And so I would say this is, this is a good strategy. And David, by the way, is doing a good thing. This is a good thing that David's doing, bringing the ark to Jerusalem. It's the right thing that he's doing, right? But if you don't know any better, you might think, okay, great. But what they were doing, how they were doing it rather, was not the way it was supposed to be done. In Numbers chapter four, God gives instructions on how to move the ark. And there's a few things they, they missed or maybe they didn't know about. First of all, only someone from the tribe of Levi can handle the ark. Okay, number one. And only a specific family from that tribe could handle it. And they can only carry it by using the poles and bearing it on their shoulders. Cart, you know, having a cart or no, this is the way it's supposed to be done. That's the right way to do it. How I many know God's way is always the right way? Right? Not what David did. David put it on a cart, just like who? The Philistines. This is a problem. Verse 5. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. So they're, they're happy. This is a good thing. We're bringing the ark back. Verse 6. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark and took hold of it because the oxen stumbled. So the ark is about to fall off the cart. I like to put myself in the shoes of people in these narratives that we read. And I love and hate to say, like, I, if I were Uzzah and I saw the ark about to fall off the cart, I'm going to do the same thing he did. Just, I, don't let it fall to the ground, right? It seems like that would make sense. But look what happens. Verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence. And he died there next to the ark. 
And David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named that place Outburst Against Uzzah. Where does he get these names? Right? <laughs> Where are you guys going for vacation? Well, I heard Outburst Against Uzzah is nice this time of year. But he was angry. He was upset, obviously, right? I think in some ways David expected that God would be happy with his intentions. And maybe David didn't really understand that he was doing things the, right, the wrong way. He was doing the right thing. So why did this happen? Well, he was doing it the wrong way. There's other cases in Scripture where this happens. And I want to drive this home to all of us here in a minute. But remember Abraham and Sarah. God promises them a son. And they're both very old in age, and it seems not possible, probable, and Sarah doesn't see uh, her have, being, ha- being able to have a baby. So she says, God promised it, so here, sleep with my handmaiden so you can have a son. So she wanted a good thing. She wanted the promise to happen, right? She definitely went about it a very wrong way, as we find out, and it caused a lot of problems, you could say we're still dealing with a lot of those problems today. She did the right thing the wrong way, and the promise came anyway, by the way, right? Then you look at uh, Jacob, Jacob and Esau, and, and uh, Jacob was the younger, he came out uh, second to his twin, but the Lord said that the older should serve the younger. So God said Jacob should be treated with the honor of the first, as, as the firstborn son. And so Jacob, when his father is very old and on his deathbed and can't really see very well, disguises himself as Esau to go get the blessing. He, he, the blessing was supposed to be his. That was, that was the right thing. But he was deceiving his father. He was doing it the wrong way. And that created a lot of problems for him that lasted almost you know, a, a large chunk of his life. And so there's a danger when we do the right thing, but we do it the wrong way. And as Christians, those of us who are following Christ, Christian means Christ-like, to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus. It's a good thing to be a Christian and to follow Jesus, but it's possible, it's possible to do the right thing the wrong way. One of the ways, you know, just one maybe test to say, am I, am I living my life for Jesus the right way? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, those who belong to Jesus, they're a peculiar people. The word peculiar, yes, it means weird, but literally translated, it means stand out. It means that when we do the right things the right way, we're gonna stand out. And what David did, or rather how he did it, It really didn't stand out. He did it the way the Philistines did it. He did it the way the world does it. He saw something that had to be done. He saw how the world did it, and he did it the world's way. Are you starting to get the point here? There is a way that the world does things. The scriptures say in Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction, right? 
And I, I just, I have to say, it makes sense to me that he did what he did the way he did it. But just because something makes sense doesn't mean it makes biblical sense. Just because something is logical does not mean it's theological, right? There are some, there are some things that the church struggles with this too, the church in general. The church struggles with doing the right thing the wrong way. I talked about the food pantry, but just doing church, period. Uh, sometimes the church in general wants to reach as many people as possible, but they do so in a number of ways that are the wrong way. One of those ways might be really watering down the message. I know for me, and I'll just share from my personal experience and you know, make a confession to you, Donya and I were, we were youth pastors for 15 years before we led a church, uh, and um, we, had, we had a lot of success. Uh, in the last place we were in youth ministry, we had uh, actually all the great markers of success. We had a, a large youth ministry. We had a dedicated youth building that we, we were able to do a capital campaign for and raise the funds for. And uh, uh, other youth pastors uh, would come and visit to see what we're doing and all that kind of stuff. In fact, uh, any of you know uh, Pastor Josh Sousa? He came to see what was going on at the time. And we, we just had, we had all the markers of success um, you know, we, we would throw events, hundreds of teenagers would be there, uh, half or more of them would be unchurched, which is great, right? We're reaching the unchurched. And um, we, even had a, we even had a Catholic youth pastor once come and visit, which I wasn't sure how that was going to go, right? Because it's a Pentecostal youth service. Um, I grew up Catholic, so I know they're very different services. Um, but he was blown away He's just by seeing the interaction the students had, even with the volunteers that prayed with them. He couldn't believe that they went up to somebody and asked for prayer at the end of the service at the altars like we did. He was so impressed or inspired by that, he came back the following week and he brought the board from his Catholic church to sit in our youth service, which I thought, this is kind of, all right, I wonder how they're gonna respond to this. We had a little meeting afterwards and they're like, oh, that's nice, you know. Um, and they left, and it was just me and Joe at the end, and Joe goes, man, if we don't do something in the Catholic Church, we're going to lose a generation. So there were really great things happening, and, and I'm not going to say uh, God didn't accomplish. God used that ministry, and it was, it was amazing. But um, if I were to tell you today um, how many of those students I know are serving the Lord, it's very few is very few. Many of them, if they hadn't already strayed, after 2020, would go out of their way. Some of them would make a decision, and this is, it just blew my mind. Not only would they turn their back on their faith, but they would go out of their way on social media or otherwise to reach out to me and say things like, I can't believe I ever looked up to you. You're, one, one kid said, you disgust me. When, we, when Roe v. Wade got overturned last year and I was celebrating it on, on, on Facebook, I had one kid say, you, you have, yeah, that's awesome, right? We celebrate that. He messaged me, he said, you disgust me. And uh, unfriended me and, uh, you know, uh, that hurts. But, but ultimately... What I think happens sometimes in churches and certainly in that youth ministry, that's why I'm speaking from my own experience, 
is in order to reach a larger group of people, we'll do a lot of things. Never did I ever say anything in my ministry that abortion was okay. In fact, I think that, that student missed a few days because there were times I did talk very openly about it. Uh, never once did I ever endorse a homosexual lifestyle in the youth ministry. I will say this, I obviously didn't talk about it enough. Because what happened is students assumed things about what I believed and what I was teaching based on what I wasn't saying. And when they discovered my position on some things they assumed, it shocked them. As it turns out, trying to reach a lot of teenagers, right thing. That's the right thing. There were some things that I were, was doing that were not the right way, or maybe wasn't doing. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think the church in general, in the world even, wrestles with this issue that David was discovering about doing the right thing the right way without compromise, right? And because sometimes doing the right thing the right way means smaller crowds. Jesus said things when he had the largest crowds. He said things, it almost seemed purposeful and intentional, that caused people to walk away. If you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. <laughs> okay, that's weird, man. I'm out, right? So, but we've got, it, we've got it, the church, and thank God as Life Church, we're not doing that. We're not, um, we're not ambiguous about what we believe. We teach the, the tough topics. But even in other respects, sometimes we can try to go about things the world's way. And I just, I want to be careful when I say this because I love all these things and I don't think they're wrong necessarily. But if our ministry is built more on production than it is the gospel, right. we're doing things the world's way. And don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. There is a point to production, and that is to point when we do things, we want to remove distractions, we want to bring people's attention to Jesus. But I, and we don't do this here, but I have seen some productions in churches, and I thought, what in the world are they doing? It's highly entertaining, but I don't know where the gospel is in that, right? But we lean so heavily on those kind of methods. We're doing, we're trying to do the right thing the wrong way. And it seems logical. It seemed logical to David. Let's build a cart. No use in expending the energy and carrying it ourselves. But remember, what's logical is not always theological. So David's upset. He's upset. And he doesn't understand why this happened. But verse 9, I think, starts to give us some insight. It says this, David feared the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think this is one of those spaces in David's life where he was learning the fear of the Lord. The reverence, the respect, the awe. Understanding that God is sovereign. And so if he has a way, there's a reason for it and you've got to listen to it. I think David was learning that. He may not have known all the rules. We'll give him the benefit of that and say he didn't. Maybe after this happened, he went back to some priests and said, what happened? What did I do? How did, what, where did I go wrong? He had to learn. 
some of those things. But as for right now, he's saying, I'm not touching it. Verse 10, so he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. I I want to really bring this home in a way that you can understand today. I'm so thankful that we don't have to worry about the Ark of the Covenant ourselves today or anything like that. Could you imagine having to worship the way they did? It was a messy business, right? I mean, they had to sacrifice animals. They had to sprinkle blood and, and it just, I don't know, you know, maybe if I w- came up in that time, it would be more normal to me. But I'm thankful right now that we don't need to do that. We don't need to worry about how we handle the Ark of the Covenant, Right? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible teaches us clearly that the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that veil was torn in two, opening the presence of God, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, opening the presence of God to all of us all the time. That's awesome, right? And so we don't have to worry about the Ark of the Covenant, but, but the mercy seat that we have now, our mercy seat is Jesus. He's our mercy seat. And we go to him, and when we go to Jesus, the Bible teaches us that we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to worry about how we handle the Ark of the Covenant. What we need to be thinking about is how we handle our lives that that encase the Spirit of God inside of us. And that's really important. Because there's so many things in our lives we can do that are an attempt to do the right thing but the wrong way. Like Abraham and Sarah, God made a promise, so I'm gonna do some things to make it happen because God said it was gonna happen. Be careful. If God said it was gonna happen, let God do it. Right? That's what I love about David. So many times people will try to tell him, David, God has delivered Saul into your hands. David wouldn't do a thing to become king. He said, I, God is gonna have to make it happen. Right? That's one thing he did very right. But we can get into situations where we're trying to do the right thing, but we're doing it the wrong way. And it ends up frustrating. It ends up in self-destruction. It ends up um, undermining our faith, causing us to ask questions. I thought you said, God. And it might be because we're trying to do the right thing the wrong way were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.